We've got lots in store today. Um, we're going to be talking about council bins, which you'll be very yes. pleased about. Yes. <clears throat> um, horoscopes. And also a um, new book, if you haven't got it yet, uh, by Bob Lord Keeper. I'll be talking about that in a moment. Um, okay, so uh, here we are, free from nicking. We're going straight into uh, the scripture, which is Galatians 4, verses 8 to 20. Uh, we've been, if you're new here, uh, we've been working through the book of Galatians, um, which has just been power-packed uh, stuff in terms of uh, what's in it for, uh, for us um, and uh, for the Galatian church. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to kick into it. However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. I beg you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You've done me no wrong. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you didn't despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. Not only when I am present with you, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your scripture and your word. And uh, Lord, we just ask, Lord, you speak to us this morning, uh, that we would uh, just um, apply it to our own lives, uh, that we take what Paul is really saying here uh, and see how it applies to us today. Okay, so Paul is upset about slipping back of the church in Galatia. He faithfully taught them the gospel, the simple truth, that they weren't saved by anything other than believing in Christ. It was all about what Christ did, not what they did. There was nothing that could make them more accepted by God. No about of religious observance, could add one little extra brownie point to their relationship with God. And yet, just a short while after, they just seem to be returning to their old mysticism and Jewish law observance very quickly. You know, it, wasn't short, it was a very short time. 
they'd completely changed this church that had been so for Paul, so filled with joy, so flowing with grace and generosity. And then he kind of realizes that they've completely changed. They're starting to get all stuck up and heavy and kind of legalistic. And it shows itself in their attitude towards him. And he is perplexed. He is really concerned at what's gone on. There was many new converts that had come to Christ there. Previously, let's just remember, many of these people had been uh, Gentiles, so not, not Jewish in origin. Okay? They didn't know the, the Old Testament law and everything. Okay, so they, they, they've just been having a fun time, okay? Involving themselves in sexual immorality, astrology, the Roman and the Greek gods. You know, often we can kind of have that sort of attitude when we sort of see Hercules you know, on the TV, that it was sort of there for children, but it actually wasn't. You know, governmental decisions weren't made until omens had been uh, inquired of. A magistrate, for example... Um, with the right of augury, could declare a suspension of all official business for the day if he deemed that the omens were unfavorable, which might be that certain birds were flying in the sky uh, or that somehow the intestines of a pigeon looked a little bit dodgy. (laughs) Marriages were planned on certain days to uh, avoid the bad omens. Black cats... Uh, were considered bad homes. The Senate actually consulted the Sibylline books in times of crisis uh, to see to avoid calamity. A series of prophecies that have been handed down by a Greek prophetess. Okay, just imagine David Cameron doing that. Just <laughs> let's just. I think we should just stop business today and consult the Sibylline books. I mean, this was, you know, so it wasn't just a load of hocus-pocus that was sort of some cranky old people. This was sort of ran right through the whole kind of Roman state. And he, here's Paul, and he says to the Galatian church, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless, elemental things which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. What was he saying? Was he saying you're going back to some of those things before you became a Christian that was uh, those kind of superstitious stuff? Is that, what you're, is that what he's talking about? Well, it's actually very radical what he's saying. What, what Paul was really concerned about was that they were getting fixated about seasons and days. Um, they were exchanging some... Uh, of their old superstitious ways for sort of new Jewish law-keeping. It was very radical. He was, he was really saying, you guys, you're starting to kind of go, go into something. So it wasn't back for them because they, many of them had never been Jewish. But you're starting to take on board some of the kind of rule-keeping, law-keeping, okay, 
It's very similar to how, what we, we were like before you were a Christian, where you used to kind of make sure that, oh my goodness, you know, what day of the month was I born on? You know, what does my horoscope scope say today? What am I able to do or not able to do? Who am I able to marry, not able to marry? What day of the week? What is the right omen? He says, you're starting to get like that. You're mixing these things all together. That's a radical thing, isn't it? He's saying, actually, following, following this law is like going back to your old life, your old superstitious life. Let's chop open the pigeon, you know. <laughs> I think one of the difficulties that we have, you know, is that, does this affect us? Say, no, 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 of course not, Matthew. You know, it doesn't affect us at all. We're not like that. The interesting thing is, actually, about our society and where we're going, is that we just love assessment don't we? We love assessment. We just lap it up. <clears throat> you know, my, <laughs> at my, at my uh, grandkids' house, they, I'm sure many of you parents got the same thing. You've got these kind of markers on the door. And, you know, so there it is. And there he is, you know, Josiah at three and a half. You know, there he's done it. And then he's kind of, you know, Josiah at seven, and then he's up there, you know, he's looking to see, you know, when is he going to get bigger than Grandpa, which is not that far. Uh, <laughs> you know, and they're all marked up. We love assessment. Uh, we're obsessed, actually, with, a, as a nation, seeing various celebrities competing with one another. It could be Bear Grylls and Mission Survive. Anybody been watching that? I mean, scary stuff. Uh, the voice, the baker. We're, we're, we're looking, you know, who's really followed the recipe? Have they really stitched the dress in the right place? <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> Have they listened to the criticism and changed their rumba? You know, I mean... <laughs> We live in an age where we monitor our heart rate like number for us, our intake of salt and sugar, our ability to kind of use the gym stepper. And the problem is, okay, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with all those things. What I am saying is that the trouble is that Christianity can start to copy and ape the same thing where we just get to come on give me the line give me the line give me the point give me the thing somebody comes along and says actually this is what Christianity is about you know you guys just need to step up to the mark a bit you need to improve this bit of your prayer life in this way <clears throat> how many hours have you prayed this year we need to step up our game, don't we? Come on. We go, yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, I, I want to lose some fat. I want to gain some, you know, prayer points. <clears throat> you know, and Paul's saying, guys, you've, you've slipped back. Where have you gone? The trouble is that Christianity can become exactly the same. There's plenty of authors out there that are making their livelihood out of us devouring their 10-point programs. And I think the Galatian church was just like that. And a group of leaders came along. They just went for it, hook, line, and sinker. 
everything else seemed to be about meeting certain standards, gaining certain qualifications. Why not Christianity? And Paul's response is he is horrified. He's horrified at what's happened to them. We need to feel some of that. Yeah? So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, he's horrified. Horrified to the point of saying, I- I'm beginning to think I absolutely wasted my time with you guys. I think it was a complete, was it a total mistake? He's not just, you know, when it, at the end it says, I wish my tone was different towards you. Yeah, no, he did have a tone. He definitely had a tone, you know. It was definitely, uh, you know, I think I have wasted my time. They can feel the anger <laughs> that actually he is disappointed. I fear for you that perhaps I've labored over you in vain. He'd given a lot of himself. They'd started in grace. Would they continue in grace? God's people had been under the Mosaic law for centuries, hadn't they? Okay, the Jewish people. If that could have saved them, if it could have made just one person righteous, the Bible says, then Christ did not have to die. That's how important it was. Galatians 2.21, we've already covered it. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Needlessly. The trouble was, the law was useless, always will be useless. It was impotent. It couldn't change one person. It gave you the line. It said, this is what purity means. This is what God's standard is. And it's here. And the truth of the matter is, not one of you through thousands of years are ever going to make it. That's what the law tells us. It tells us failure, 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 doesn't it? Failure, failure, failure. <laughs> just, and you, over there. Okay, just so you don't feel left out. <laughs> it did nothing to bridge the gap. The only, only thing that bridges the gap is believing in Jesus Christ. And no one can become more acceptable to God. Why then, he's saying, did you ditch this to run after this self-improvement program again? What, was, what deluded you into thinking that you could kind of go back to this stuff? Tim Keller, see the quote. In the end, he says, the religious person is as lost and enslaved as the irreligious one. Both are trying to be their own savior and lord. It'd be like me saying to you, if you think that you're more acceptable to God by reading the Bible, coming to church, having certain prayer times, Well, go the whole hog. Why don't you just crack open the horoscope this week? That's what he's saying. 
That's it's as radical as that. If that's actually what you think makes you righteous, well, why don't you go back to that stuff? He's being, wow. <coughs> yeah, read your Bible. Yes, pray. Yes, be generous with your money. Yes, share your faith with others. Yes, come and worship God together. But because you want to, because you love to, because you're stirred out of a generous heart that you want to do it, never ever because you think God will love you more. D.A. Carson says, Where proud men and women parade their mighty intellects, God chooses the simple. Where wealthy people assess each other on their respective holdings, God chooses the poor. Where self-centered leaders lust for power, God chooses the nobodies. Salvation is God's free gift, secured by the ignominious death of his own son. This odious death is God's triumphant act, his most dazzling and powerful deed. The action which he disgraces and trashes all human pretension. God's salvation springs from God's grace and it is received by those who trust in him, not by the beautiful people or the rich and the powerful. It springs from his grace. Thank God it's not by merit. Amen. Thank God. Thank God that anyone can enter in. I want to say that to all of you. Thank God that any one of us can enter in. We don't have to come up to some standard. It doesn't matter how stupid we are or how irreligious we have lived. It is totally up to how Jesus lived and how he gave his life. It's about that and that's all it's about. And either you believe that or you don't. And if you believe it, you have a bridge to life. You have access to God fully accepted into his family. Nothing else. It's great news for a screwed up world. Second point. Where then, he says, is that sense of, verse 15, blessing you had. In the second part of this passage, Paul is feeling the loss that the church seems to have moved away from him, listening more to these other teachers that had come in than to him. Earlier, it seems that they'd been passionate for him. If possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Strong statement. Previously, they'd received him so fully, they treated him like an angel from God or even Jesus himself. Now, they were treating him like an enemy. I want to say that God brings a lightness to the church, a joy, a freedom. We all know how grateful we actually are. We revel in the free gift of righteousness that Christ has won for us. So there's a freedom. There's a freedom within the church. There's a freedom that comes that is just everything springing out of that freedom. Because actually, like when I went back and said, you know, you failed, you failed, you failed. Yeah, there's freedom in that. Thank God. I failed. I can't do it. But the good news is he passed with 
flying colors, didn't he? He got the distinction. And because of what Christ did, I enter in. Thank God. There's freedom in that. Because if I slip up, if you slip up, it's not like, oh my goodness, I've gone down the snake ladder again, like, like you know, snakes and ladders, I've gone down. You know, suddenly I've kind of slipped, whoops, you know. No, actually, I was never righteous in the first place. I was always unworthy, and God counted me worthy. I was unrighteous and still am, but God counts me righteous, and he counts you righteous because of his son. And that is wonderful, liberating news, isn't it? Yeah? Terry Virgo says, you'll never reign in life and be free from the clouds of condemnation if you do not wholeheartedly embrace the free gift of righteousness. You need to enjoy the glorious liberty of being a child of God, thoroughly accepted. Are you enjoying the glorious liberty of being a child, fully accepted? This is radical. This is the gospel. This is what the Bible says, not what you think it says. Okay, <laughs> what you've been led to believe sometimes that actually, oh no, it's all about kind of following certain rules about God saying, you can't do this, you can't do that. No, actually, this is what the Bible's saying. It's about this point. The Galatians had been filled with this joy, loving God, overflowing with deep love for each other, highly appreciative of Paul. But of late, they become under this heavy weight of legalism again, trying to achieve. And we see this on a kind of pattern. Okay, can we just pull up that slide? Um, and they, they go, coming under legalism, trying to achieve, <coughs> falling short, getting condemned, giving up, then trying harder again. Coming under legalism, trying to achieve, falling short, getting condemned, giving up, trying harder again. Coming under legalism, trying to achieve, and it goes on. Is that your life? Because if it is, that's called legalism. <laughs> and that is actually wrong. <laughs> that is actually, you're under something that is actually not what actually God wants you to be under. It's not what Jesus died on the cross for, for you to, when he says, you know, you, you'll be free. He's talking about a freedom that comes with the grace of God. And so many Christians live in this cycle of legalism. No wonder their sense of blessing had gone. It's like, you know, they initially they'd come to Christ. They were carrying this backpack of sin and weight and things were, was getting heavier and heavier. And they were under the control of a life that was given over to that. And, the, and they then come under the wonderful, liberating freedom. And they'd taken the backpack off. And they had danced. And they'd been full of joy and liberation. And then 
these teachers said, what are you doing? Put that backpack back on again. And they put it on. Oh, yes, of course. I'm sorry. Yes. I just want to be like that. And they put the backpack on. And Paul's like, what has happened to you? Where has your blessing gone? Why is it gone? Oh, we've got to carry this weight. He reminds them that he reminds them that he'd sort of come to them accidentally, which is sort of I'm not quite sure if he kind of had to take a diversion or whether he just got delayed there. But what he says to them, he says, he says, he says in the first place, it was actually because I was sick. It's like he wasn't actually. This is this is quite radical too. So he's saying. You know, yeah, yeah, God spoke to him, and that's why he went to the Galatians. That's why he was there, because God spoke to him, gave, gave him this word. No, he's actually saying, no, the reason I was actually here was because I was sick. That's why. I was with you because I was sick. I, and it sounds like you kind of got delayed in some way, which kind of it challenges us, doesn't it? Uh, because we're kind of like, what are you saying here, Paul? Are you saying that actually that your physical sickness was something that God used. Well, he's not, first of all, he's not ashamed of declaring that he was sick. He doesn't kind of hide it away. I was, you know, he's, he's, he's telling them, no, no, this is, this is what happened. And he's, he's actually saying, you know what? I, you, you, you love me anyway, even though I, you know, it kind of got in the way somewhat. We don't quite know what that was. But it obviously kind of affected him in some ways. And he's saying, you, you accepted me all the same. And he's just being honest about it. I love this bit about Paul. He's just honest. He's not trying to be some super apostle. He's just saying, look, guys, you know, this is how I came to you. This is how you came to know Jesus. <laughs> because actually I got delayed because I was ill. And you kind of lived with me even though it was kind of a bit of a pain for me and a bit of a pain for you. But hey, you were full of joy. And you just received me fully. That's great, isn't it? <laughs> I think it, it's, it's, again, it kind of, it, it challenges us because we kind of think, oh, my goodness, you know, keep that bit quiet, Paul. You know, I mean, you don't want to say anything like that. You don't want to say you were sick and you were well all the time. No, actually, no, I wasn't. I was ill. And God still used me powerfully. I, I want to say that to you. We believe in healing here, just as Paul did. And he, Paul saw many miracles happen. But you know what? If you're struggling with some long-term illness, I want to say this to you. God <laughs> could still use you powerfully. Don't go, oh, that's it. I've had it now. I'm kind of, I just give up, I think. You know, I'm just ill. I can't do anything anymore. I can't do it the way I used to do it. Well, actually, what we see here is a model of Paul saying, and I, I carried on. You kind of lived with whatever it was, you know, we don't quite know what it was, whether it was his sight, uh, some would say. Some would say it's his speech. Okay. Um, but something was kind of in the way. And it was like they, they, they were like, no, we're still receiving this. They still, they, they, they came to know Jesus as a result. <laughs> he was still sharing his faith and able to kind of, God was able to use him even though he was ill. Does that... Does that challenge you? 
Because that's a great news, actually. <laughs> Otherwise, we just say, oh, that's it. I'm ill. I better just disqualify myself now. I better give up now. No. Great news is God still is using you. Yeah? I find it encouraging anyway. <laughs> so when they were full of grace, living in the good of it, it overflowed in great joy, great generosity, great community. There was a lack of any kind of sense of feeling unworthy. There was a great heart for Paul. But coming under this wretched law stuff again at the hands of those would-be apostles, they'd lost their joy, they'd become very wary, they'd become dismissive, they had an attitude towards Paul, and become a church worried about ridiculous dates and times, as though that was going to make them more spiritual. And it is a good litmus test, I want to say, of what are you coming under? Because grace produces joy, liberation, and good relationships. My third and final point is this, that these new teachers, they'd come in, it says in verse 17, and they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. It's an interesting statement. So, they, so you can imagine this, just picture it a moment. Um, they're acting in such a way that actually, oh, can I, can I join your group? Can I be part of this thing? Uh, no, sorry. You've got to... No, we're, we're sorry, no, I'm, well, we're not sure. We'll see, we'll, we'll let you know whether you kind of fit the criteria. And we'll let you know. So there's a kind of a, there was a kind of aloofness, yeah, that was happening. I want to say, you're going to shoot me down with this. I want to say this, this is sort of a bit, kind of, they were acting a bit like girls in the playground. And, and I've got to say, I, I, just, I actually do think it's more of a girl's trait in the playground than his boys. Boys are going to just kind of knock you, you know, on the nose. You, know. <laughs> you want to join our, our, our gang, you know, bang. You know, <clears throat> girls, this, 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 they're, they're a little bit cleverer. Okay? And they were, very, they were just acting in a very clever way here, making them sort of like, we're going we're gonna to act aloof. Oh, no, you can't join us. You know, and, 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 and they were like, you know, <laughs> and, I, and I hear it a lot from my granddaughters, you know, they're kind of, oh, so-and-so's kept me out again. You know, like, you know, don't worry about it, you know. And they were sort of acting a bit like that. The natural desire. I mean, we, we all face it. The natural desire is that we want to try and get accepted back in the group. And they used it as a sort of manipulative technique here to try and draw the Christians back into law-keeping Christianity. Away from Paul and his, you don't have to do anything, Christianity to be accepted. Okay? And the clever bit is that the Galatian church, uh, they, were, they, they were running after them. They were running after these teachers. Eagerly obeying every little addition to how can I really be righteous. Okay? <clears throat> Which brings me to Bob Law uh, Keeper's book, <clears throat> How to Be More Accepted by God. Is your life squeaky clean? Okay. Powerful leadership tips. Um, remember his previous version, um, the author of Ridiculous Grace. Um, and there's a great uh, forward by Howard Sour Grapes in it. Um, I love some of these chapter headings. Um, 
If it seems too easy, it's probably wrong. Um, <clears throat> learning how to uh, make him love you more. A prayer life you can be proud of. <clears throat> Crossing the T's. Keeping out the riffraff. <clears throat> and becoming more like me. <laughs> So, uh, you know, if you want it, uh, there it is. Um, you can uh, get hold of that. Um, <clears throat> the great news, the great news is actually found right at the beginning of the passage again. So we're going back to verse 8 and 9. And it says, when, Paul says, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, be known by God. It's not that, interestingly, that we went running after God in the first place. So basically, these teachers have got the church running after them, remember. And what Paul says right at the beginning of this passage is actually, he, God, came after us. He pursued us. It wasn't so much about, do you know God? But, does he know you? Does he know you? Which is so important. These self-righteous, false law keepers, making themselves aloof, trying to make the group feel unworthy and outside, like they weren't good enough, only by keeping lots of extra law-keeping and nitpicky adherence could they be included by the teachers and by God. Whereas actually God, as Paul points out, on the other hand, is actually completely opposite to this. This isn't his nature at all. He doesn't try and keep us out. He's not trying to make himself aloof. He did the opposite. He came down to earth. He came amongst us. He lived amongst us. Didn't he? Yeah. And he sought us out. He did exactly the opposite because he's a grace-filled God who wants us to be part of him. He seeks us out. His very nature is desperate to include us into his relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He makes it as easy as possible for us to join this wonderful grace community. Paul was a grace man. And he was laboring, it says, verse 20, is it? Like a baby. Congratulations to uh, Louise and Tim. You heard they had a new baby, Nora, last night. Uh, but he, Paul's saying, I, I was laboring for you that they would glorify God more. These false teachers, they were manipulating these Christians, trying to make them glorify them more, trying to bolster them up. And I want to say that weak, insecure leadership needs others to bolster them up. Secure, grace-filled leaders are full, fully releasing. What's your life like? What are you allowing to control you? We've got an election coming up soon, haven't we? I am fervent in the belief that this is what Scotland needs 
most. Not another political party or more laws, but more grace. I think there's been a lot of gospel preaching in this country over the centuries. But I want to say this, that getting people saved is not the end point. It often feels like it's the end point. It's not the end point. Especially if all that the secular world sees is that Christianity is just about law-keeping. They've had enough of that, haven't they? From looking at their council bins. Yeah, there they are. You know, I, what am I supposed to put in it this month? You know, all <clears throat> uh, oh, right, the green has now changed. It's now, it was, you know, uh, landfill. Now it's changed into something else. You know, there's constant rules uh, and regulations that are there. Um, traffic wardens, parking restrictions, you know, actually just being exactly within the line. I want to say this, let's not add. Let's not the church echo law-keeping, okay? That wasn't what it was ever meant to be. And I understand that there needs to be laws. But as a people of God, for those that don't know God, what they need is, they need to understand the grace of God. They need to understand that there's total acceptance for them through nothing that they've done. They can park on as many lines as they like and they can put whatever they like into their bins, okay? <clears throat> and they will be accepted by Jesus Christ. And they need to know that. They need to know that. Creating grace-dominated communities that are full of joy and generosity is what is going to radically change Scotland. I'll say that again. Creating grace-dominated communities that are full of joy and generosity is what is going to radically change Scotland. Be careful. You don't revert back to a legalistic religious observance that squeezes the life out of you and everyone that you have contact with. I will leave you with this quote from Philip Yancey. Grace is the most perplexing, powerful force in the universe, and I believe the only hope for a twisted, violent planet. I thought it was great that Doris brought that prophetic word, be lifted up you holy doors that I may come in. And that's what we're doing. We're actually, we need to open wide these doors so that those that don't know God in this city and this country come to know him fully and freely that they can enter in without any restrictions. Yeah? Let's pray. Lord, yeah, let's uh, stand up. That's good. Thank you for leading us in that. In. <clears throat> Jesus, we just uh, come to you. We say, God, we thank you that there was no restrictions for us. 
We came to you from all sorts of different parts of life, different parts of the world, different social backgrounds, different educational standings, and you accepted us freely, every one of us freely, the same way. We were fully accepted and we cannot earn or gain any more acceptance. And we just ask God that we as a church would be full of grace, <coughs> that it would pour out of us, that our lives would be lives that are filled with your grace, that others may see the joy and the freedom that is in you and come to know you too. Amen.